Hello, this is Margarita Monet from Edge of Paradise, and you are listening to the Metal Pit Podcast. Welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast, where we delve deep into the albums and bands that shaped metal. Please visit our website, The Metal Pit www.themetalpit.org where you can find album reviews, interviews, and live show reviews. Also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Metal Pit. And for some video interviews, shorts, and audio versions of this podcast, visit our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com at The Metal Pit 666. Today, my oh, this is our last episode of 2023, and today my guest is my writer Billy. How are you today, Billy? Uh, all good, Blake. Thanks for uh, having me on the podcast. Looking forward to it. Now, this is our first two-person podcast in a long time, as we had a cancellation yeah. of somebody that was going to be with us, so we'll have to cover for that. But I'm sure we'll do fine, as we have a lot to talk about. And well, we just came off the episode that was. Well, last week's episode was Venom's Welcome to Hell, and we're going to flip it really way over the opposite direction. And today we're doing Trans-Siberian Orchestra and different lyrical content than Venom. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) And we're doing, let's see, their second Christmas album, which is The Christmas Attic, which was released in 1998. 1998, yes. Uh, Let's see. Briefly, I'll just say Trans-Siberian Orchestra was founded by in 1996 by producer, composer, and lyricist Paul O'Neill, who brought together John o- Oliva and, oh, and Al Petrelli from Sabotage and keyboardist and co-producer Robert Kinkle to form the core of the creative team. And as I said, this is their second album. Their first was the... Uh, Christmas Eve and other stories, wasn't it? Wait, am I confused? <laughs> no, that's right. Nineteen ninety. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. And then there was the, uh, where's the other one? Sorry. Oh, and then the Lost Christmas Eve, and then there yeah. was also a DVD in there, too, which featured Jewel as one of the guests. I'm, I'm not sure how many people listening to this podcast know who Jewel is, <laughs> but anyway, she was one of the guests on that video okay of course trans-siberian orchestra is most known i would say for their elaborate concerts with the string sections their various singers various musical performances, the light show lasers and video screens and everything going on at once as they usually play two shows in every city and they usually have one two different sets of uh, what groups, I guess you want to call it. One playing like the West Coast of North America and one on the East Coast of North America or meeting in the middle or whatever. And we will talk about their live shows more later. Um, sorry, I'm a little mixed up here. <laughs> okay, now we already did, me and Billy and let's see, Eric, or one of our other writers, did a podcast on Sabotage. And we did Streets, the rock opera. So we always also already mentioned Trans-Siberian Orchestra a little bit on that episode. And about a special live show they did at Wacken that Billy happened to be at. But we'll probably talk about that again when we get to that. Now, 
so I don't, I guess we'll go over it again. When did you, I guess you probably heard Sabotage first and that's how you discover Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Is that right, Billy? Yeah, no, that for sure. Probably a lot of us uh, discovered them that way. Uh, and it's funny because my first thoughts of Kia Soul was a bit negative, uh, just in the sense that, you know, the Sabotage guys were spending so much time with that uh, and we weren't getting new <laughs> Sabotage material. Uh, so, but then I learned to listen to it and fully appreciated it, right? Like it, it's obviously has a classical music slant and rock opera, so it's a bit different. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a group of talented musicians who do a really good job with it. Um, and it so happens to have, as you mentioned, a holiday theme. So uh, good timing there. <laughs> Yes, and I of course knew Sabotage for I think much I think it might have been Hall of the Mountain King might have been my first Sabotage album, and even that album had the one song the prelude before the Hall of the Mountain King, so it had a little classical influences even on that one. Yep, but then it was mostly gutter ballet, and then of course rock was or streets. I mean the rock opera that we already talked about on a different episode that really expanded it, and then they went off and did their thing. Because, of course, Christmas Eve instrumental was on Dead Winter Dead, I believe, is the right album that was on. That was kind of... Yeah, I think so. And that, of course, is on one of the Sabotage Christmas albums. Or, sorry, Trans-Siberian Orchestra Christmas albums. Sorry, I'm getting confused now. Okay, so we might as well just start. Uh, did I cover everything that I was going to... I think so. Let's just start talking about the album then. Um, so as I said, 1998, the second of their three Christmas albums, and it starts off with the song, The Ghosts of Christmas Eve. And I'm mostly going to let probably Billy talk about the songs. He has more information about them than I do, but I'll throw in my two cents as we go along. But what about the first track? Yeah, sure. It's, it's uh, you know, a good intro to the album, I think, just over uh, two minutes um you know really just to sum up the song it, it's some beautiful piano and vocals uh just the vocal melodies are, are really good just strong uh very well done uh and i love the vocalist and for the life of me i can't figure out who that vocalist is so if anyone <laughs> listening uh could put in the comments who that is it'd be greatly appreciated <laughs> I know most of the vocalists on the songs, but this one stumps me. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a great opening uh, to the album. Uh, a slower piece, but but very effective. And yes, I love the piano too. I love that kind of piano playing, even though it's not necessarily a sad song. I mean, it's just an instrumental. <laughs> but the piano playing kind of... Or no, there is a sound instrumental. Sorry, there's a singer, of course. You said that. Yeah. But I mean, it's... Uh, the slow, the piano is kind of, I don't know, makes me sad a little bit, even mm. though I think it's great. <laughs> it's just the tone of the piano and stuff that does that. And, oh, I was going to mention the lineup. I forgot to mention the lineup. Now, I'm not going to mention the whole lineup of Trans-Siberian Orchestra. <laughs> uh, let me just find it. Sorry. Here, wait, let's go to song two because I'm kind of mixed up here. I lost my space. So we'll go to the Bows of Holly, which is bow, Bows of Holly, sorry, which is an instrumental. And this is more of a traditional Christmas song. So what do you think of the Bows of Holly? Yeah, no, it's a good one. And we see throughout this album, they'll they'll sort of bounce between instrumentals uh, and vocal driven songs. So, so it gives some good variety to it. 
Uh, I mean, the, the song itself is, is really mainly two instruments. Uh, it's guitar and keyboard driven, but certainly a very festive feel given the uh, the theme of the album. So it works well. Um, I mean, essentially, it, it's Paul O'Neill, who's, you know, the, the mastermind uh, behind TSO and all the late, you know, co-writer of the later Sabotage albums. It's essentially his reworking of Deck the Halls, the, uh, the, the standard Christmas carol. So, um, but, you know, good, you know, like a lot of this good musical orchestration, and I think the interesting thing is, and why TSO is so popular uh, and why, Blake, you said they can have two touring groups of musicians, two shows per city is just the music, you know, unlike classical music, that's very complex and could put you to sleep. You know, just the, this stuff is really easy to grasp and, you know, great melodies and, you know, generally very memorable. So I think it just appeals to to so many people um so yeah a, a good instrumental to get the album going yes and like because i'm sure there's people like that you know they don't know anything about heavy metal but they hear trans-siberian orchestra or they see some videos and think well let's go watch them and yep. they're probably seeing these guitarists for the first time shredding and not knowing what shredding means <laughs> or whatever, no, but yeah. they're enjoying it. And then somebody might tell them, you know, this started from a heavy metal band or whatever, and they would probably think you're crazy thinking that it yeah. did, but it did. <laughs> and yeah, then, of course, I you got the heavy it, metal fans like us that are going to want to see it because we know these guys that are in the band that yep. the Al Petrelli's exactly. and Chris Caffrey's that are in these bands or that were in Sabotage and then later in this band. And so it's kind of accessible to everybody. And of course, you know, the kids to the older people because you got the light shows. And even if the kids don't maybe like the music, I'm sure they're going to like all the light shows and everything that's going on too. Yeah, absolutely. In their live shows, which again, we'll talk about more later. I will say, okay, now I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to mention the whole performers on this album because there's too many and then our <laughs> hour would be over. <laughs> but I will just mention, of course, I did mention Paul O'Neill's a producer. You mentioned him too. And Robert Kinkle is also the co-producer. And we do have, uh, let's see, Jeff Plate is on the drums. John Lee Middleton is on the bass guitar. I think he was in Sabotage too, wasn't he? Yep, for sure. Okay. And then we had Paul O'Neill and Chris Caffery on rhythm guitars and Al Petrelli on lead rhythm and bass guitars and John Oliva on vocals, piano keyboards and also bass guitar it says i'm not sure how many yeah. vocals i guess you might know someone know that how many if he did some vocals on this album it's there's yeah, just so many backing vocals sadly oh okay so then we go to track three. Oh, by the way i did like the yeah i love the instrumental too there as i love it when they do a take on the traditional christmas songs yes because it always sounds great with the shredding and stuff like that. So then we go to the world that she, okay, there's two in a row here. You might as well talk about both at the same time, I suppose, or like one after the other. We got the world that she sees, and then we got the world that he sees. Yeah, yeah. So uh, starting with uh, the world that she sees, not I talk about making it complicated uh, for <laughs> us in titles, but so so this song I find a bit intriguing because if you look at the song songwriting credits, this is the first one with John Oliva who uh, who co-wrote this song. 
So I don't know how you feel, Blake, but right off the bat, uh, this song to me has a real sabotage uh, feel. Like this opening piano melody has John's name written all over it. Like he's got to be responsible for that. Um, yes. And then from a from a vocal perspective, this is a, a, a male vocalist, Jody Ashworth. Uh, I, I just think he has such a deep and rich uh, a vocal tone. Like it, it works really well. I mean, the the songwriting is is relatively straightforward, but just the the piano and and the emotional uh, vocals. Uh, I mean, John and Paul write this stuff so well, right? You know, stuff like this is what made Street to rock opera so good um oh and the chorus is just ridiculously catchy and and memorable so uh, a good one for me and then you got in contrast you got uh, the world that he sees this time um you know a longer song this one gets into the the five uh, minute range um and so interestingly uh john's not writing this one so so i can feel a difference when i listen to what she sees and what he sees <laughs> there's actually uh, a bit of uh, a difference like i said but otherwise other than john uh not writing uh everyone else is the same same singer um, so not surprisingly, you know, just as I loved uh, the previous track, this one's great. Same things that, again, that big memorable chorus. Uh, Jody Ashworth is is incredible on vocals. Just you know, all this power, but then also all this feeling in what he's singing, right? So you can just really like connect to the, to, to the music. So uh, yeah, I think they're both uh, really good songs. Um, probably the second one, what he sees, I like, like a little more than what she sees. Okay. And also another thing I was going to mention before we started this, and of course I forgot, but <laughs> these are mostly concept albums, even though you think it's kind of weird sometimes when they throw in a traditional Christmas song in there. But if you go to their website, you can read this whole stories about these albums. And like this one, there's a little, you can see in the cover of the album too, where there's a little girl who goes up to the attic, named the Christmas Attic, of course. And she finds a trunk full of old Christmas cards and letters and things like that. So supposedly this album, the songs are the different stories from those cards and letters that she finds up there. And so yep. that is this concept of this album. So then we go to Midnight Christmas Eve, which is another instrumental. And I'll let you go again, Billy. Yeah, I know. So, so again, what, what, what I think I mentioned it earlier, but the way they break up the the vocal tracks and the instrumentals works pretty well here. Uh, and I guess this is sort of a, a semi uh, instrumental in a way because they're they're constantly using a children's uh, choir in this song, uh, which I think is very effective. I like it. Um, you know, track again, you know, heavy on keyboards and musical orchestration. Um, but like the whole song slowly builds and then we get this really great, uh, uh melodic, uh, guitar lead, uh, by Chris Caffrey. So, so that's pretty cool. Um, and you know, that reoccurring musical theme, uh, through the orchestration is again, just super catchy. Um, so, so I think it works well. I like it. Uh, and again, uh, this is also a John Oliva a co-written song for, for the Sabotage fans listening. 
Now, yeah, this Midnight Christmas Eve, they had two instrumentals back to back, so I'm not sure why they did that. But the next yeah. one is the March of the Kings slash Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which of course is a traditional traditional Christmas song. And so, what do you think of this instrumental, Billy? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I think it's good. It's uh, about four minutes. Uh, so, yeah, odd that it's the, the second in a row. I think this is the only time on the album they, they, they place two together. Um, but, yeah, again, same thing I'd say here, just uh, heavy on the the orchestration piece. But, again, the, the musical themes are just easy to absorb uh, and enjoy quickly. Like, anyone can come in, listen to this, and enjoy it. And then, of course, you'll recognize little pieces of, of, of Christmas Carol that you've probably heard a million times. But, Blake, as you said, obviously a metal spin or, or a hard rock spin on the Christmas Carol. Yes, I'm sure this is played a lot live i do have that page somewhere on my computer here <laughs> oh i forgot to look that up that'll be interesting yeah <laughs> but they do that but they like we said about them touring and how they play multiple shows at the same time <laughs> so you know there's a lot of live so i wish this one this just says it's been played 36 times live now i don't know how accurate again this website is setlist.fm but you know other song i guess we haven't got to a few of these other ones so we'll come back to this, but there is a lot that have been played like slots, like over 200 times. And uh, there's only a few that haven't been played a lot, but. Okay. Yeah. And it's like their fifth, it's like their fifth highest album playing. Well, I'd say their fourth highest album playing live. The other two Christmas albums, they've played more songs from those ones live for oh, some reason. Anyway, then we, and I did like that instrumental too. Of course, when you do get into the, stuff that sounds like harp the herald angels sing and of course it reminds you of you know when you're a kid and listen to the christmas carols or i guess you don't have to be a kid but i mean for me anyway it was more like that i don't think i listen to christmas carols too much nowadays <laughs> and then we go to the the three king the three kings and i and then in brackets it's what really happened <laughs> and so what do you think of this one billy oh this is jazzy isn't it Go ahead, Billy. Yeah, no. So, so this one really kind of uh, it stands out for two reasons. It's one of the it's either the longest or the second longest song on the album, right? Six and a half to seven minutes. Yes. But yeah, this thing is like super bluesy, but also super jazzy as well. <laughs> so uh, it, it feels like an outlier. Like, like I know when I first heard it, I wasn't a big fan of it. Um, but like it has kind of grow on, grown on me through time. Like this is a singer called uh, uh, Daryl Pettiford on vocals. And so he's like a super bluesy singer too, right? Like that bluesy rasp that, that you would hear uh, maybe a bit like Van Morrison, uh, but, but even raspier. Um, but yeah, so, so I think it, it, it does well. Uh, I, I do like towards the end when, when they actually bring in the vocal choir, uh, and there's like a backing singer, Marlene Daniel, who, who has a great counterbalance. She's more of a soulful vocal, uh, that, that sort of countering, uh, Daryl. So, uh, the song is long. Uh, you gotta like bluesy jazzy. If you don't like that, you're you're gonna be uh you're gonna have a problem with it. And it feels like an outlier compared to the rest of the album, but I don't mind it. Yes, yeah, I didn't mind it either. It's funny. I was just, I was talking to our other writer Ken 
before, like earlier today. And we were, he was saying about how he likes jazz. And then I got into this hour and, oh, he must like this song then, I'm assuming. Because <laughs> he does like trans Orchestra as well. Then we go, now the next one, is this, an, is, is this an instrumental? Christmas Canon, I'm confused. I know there's a children's choir on this one. I can't remember. Oh yeah, no, there is vocals. There's female vocals on this. Do you know who the singer is for this one or not? Uh, this one, I thought, Blake, there was only uh, a, a child choir on this. Oh. Unless I'm wrong, but... Okay, maybe, maybe it's just also in the background vocals then. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, maybe I didn't... I, it's definitely not like a lead uh, vocalist. No, no. But this is, yeah, this is interesting just because I, I actually knew the uh, the classical musical piece. Uh, you know, in addition to being a diehard metal fan, I also uh, dabble a bit in classical and jazz. Um, but this is actually based on uh, a famous Ger a German composer uh, named uh, Johann Patzelbel. Hopefully I'm saying that right. But he mm -hmm. has a piece of work called Canon in D. And so Paul O'Neill, this was a, a melody that he liked. So he kind of reworked it. It doesn't sound exactly the same, but uh, there, there is sort of a, a melody that, that, that sticks from the original. But, you know, again, I think, you know, it's really piano and orchestration. You know, the, the, that main theme keeps coming back. Um, you know, it's actually done quite well. It, it's a pretty beautiful piece. Uh, and the, uh, the, the, the child choir just kind of adds this haunting feel to it. So, so I think it's pretty good. I don't mind it. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite TSO okay. songs. Because, <laughs> I don't know, every time I hear a children's choir... It, it does feel haunting. I don't know. I'm, I don't think it's supposed to. <laughs> I don't know. Is a children's choir supposed to be haunting? But yes, it does sound haunting and kind of <laughs> chilling a little bit. But yeah. it's supposed to be in a good way. <laughs> yeah. I believe. Anyway. But yes, I've always thought that too. And yeah, this is one of my, this is probably my favorite song on this album from listening oh, to really? it okay. today. Okay. And yeah, I always love the children's choir when they throw them on the any of these songs or anything. It's just... Just like the Heal My Soul one there on the streets, oh, the rock opera one. Don't even get one. me started. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing one. Yeah. But yeah, there's a very beautiful song with the very beautiful singing there. Okay, then we go to, okay, they have some really long song titles here. Joy of Man's Desire slash Angels We Have Heard on High. And this is another slower one. But we do have some nice melodic guitar solos in here for me to enjoy. So what do you think of this one? Yeah, no, I mean, really, the, the, it revol uh, revolves around two themes, right? So the music, the, the, the musical orchestration is completely led by guitar, right? So, so it's so unique. Uh, you know, lots of, uh, like, the leads are, like, really expressive on this one. So, so that stands out to me. Uh, and, and then the vocals of uh, Peggy uh, Harley. So just, uh, you know, she's massively powerful and soulful in her vocal delivery. So, you know, th that that sort of expressive guitar lead and her voice kind of going back and forth. It, I think it works really well. Uh, good track. And another one uh, that uh, John Oliva had a big part in writing. <clears throat> And I, I think some of this is taken from the Johann Sebastian Bach. I, don't know, I guess that's the angels we've heard on high. I'm not positive on that, but some of it is taken from that. And then we go to find our way home. And yes, what do you think of this one, Billy? 
Yeah, no, really like this one. Uh, and so uh, not to sound repetitive, but this is another John Oliva song. So it has a, a massive uh, sabotage feel to it. Uh, obviously a John uh, influence. Uh, vocals are uh, just an incredibly passionate vocal performance from Thomas uh, Faris. Uh, deep voice, uh, again, a raspy voice. Um, like I really get the sense they wrote this song uh, with him in mind to uh, to sing it. Uh, and again, just another killer, super catchy chorus. Uh, this thing sticks in your head. Uh, yeah, great track. I like it. Anything that John contributed to on this album is fantastic. I mean, so it's good overall, but I really love the John songs. Yes. And then we go to Apple. Okay, Apple. Appalachian Snowfall. Sorry, I yeah. practiced these words before we came on. And this is another instrumental. And I, for me, for me, like I don't mind all the singing and stuff. I seem to like the instrumentals more on this album than I do the ones with the vocals. Even though some of the later albums, like Beethoven's Last Night album, the non-Christmas album, but I really do love some of the vocals on some of those songs there. So I don't know what that is about, but yes, I really love the instrumentals that are on here as, you know, they're always, they're mostly getting into some good soloing and stuff like that on them. So that's probably why I like them. So what do you think of the song? Yeah, no, I enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, for me, this one really, I, I don't know if you find it, Blake, but the, the beginning of the song and the end of the song, uh, even though John Oliva is not a part writer, it sounds so much like a street uh, uh, type uh, musical, the beginning and the end, maybe not as much in the middle. Uh, but but again, one of the main sort of uh, orchestration pieces on the album. Um, again, I like it because the guitar takes the lead. Uh, like this album, you know, like in some of their albums, you get a lot of like electric violin and stuff that kicks in. But here the guitar is sort of one of the uh, the key instruments here. So so that comes uh, forward in this song uh, and that main orchestration, like musical theme that comes in and out of this song. Again, just very catchy. And so, yeah, I enjoy it. And so this is probably my second favorite song in the album. <laughs> okay <laughs> i guess i don't know okay then we go to the music box and i guess i think paul o'neill wrote this one from what i see here and this is this a lot of the you know the there's even though the the, the instrumentals like you say are kind of bringing some sabotage in there it's like it sounds like it could be sabotage on the streets album like you said but some of the ones with the vocals are really different from that yeah and so what do you think of the music box yeah, no, I enjoy this. It's a beautiful piece, uh, obviously a slower piece. I mean, the vocalist is uh, Katrina Chester on vocals. Um, and, you know, not your typical like heavy metal <laughs> singer, but, you know, very warm. You know, the vocals are very warm, like lots of character to them. And essentially she's paired with an acoustic guitar right through the song. So it's fairly quick, three minutes. But but again, another like, you know, nice, uh, memorable musical piece, I think. Um, very simple vocals, uh, acoustic guitar. But I think it, I think it works well. 
Now, not that it matters too much. They've played that song seven times live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just noticed that. <laughs> I thought I'd mention it. Then we come to, because actually there's the later song on here. Oh, I thought it was the same title. I was confused, but we'll get to that and I'll figure that out. Okay, then we go to The Snow Came Down. And another slower one, but some great piano playing in here that I like. Usually I don't really like piano. I only like piano when it's played like this. Mostly. Mm. I mean, I like Deep Purple's John Lord's piano playing <laughs> or oh, yeah, yeah. Dream Theater with Jordan Rudis there yeah. or other guys play it. But more or less, I don't listen to bands with piano and stuff in it, but I do love, you know, John, of course, is amazing on the piano. And that's why I love it for that reason. So what do you think of The Snow Came Down? Yeah, no, this is uh, actually one of my uh, favorites uh, for sure here. Uh, this just might be one of the tracks that remind me most of Sabotage, later era Sabotage. That's like very piano uh, driven. Um, you know, I, I, it's it's exactly like Sabotage, like from a, a, a vocal melody perspective. The music is totally a Sabotage uh, thing. But like, I could totally in my head envision Zach Stevens singing this song in in one of the later uh, uh, albums. Uh, although I think John would do a great job on it as well. Um, but this is this is the vocals. The vocals are good. Like Thomas Faris, uh, we mentioned him earlier. Um, you know, slow emotional vocals uh, on this track. I mean, again, so much feeling, so emotive. They're raw. Kind of some of the words we use to describe John uh, on some of those uh, great ballads on on Sabotage Streets album. Um, beautiful piano work sprinkled throughout the song. Uh, another super catchy chorus. Just just a great track. One of my favorites. And then we go to Christmas in the Air. And this is a little bit, uh, it's still like a semi, I don't know, kind yeah. of a semi rock ballad, I guess you might want to call it or something yeah. like that. Even though I guess there's lots of ballads on this album, really. But this is a little bit heavier, a little bit more <clears throat> explosive than the other ones are. But what do you think of Christmas is in the Christmas in the air? Yeah, another favorite of mine, like we're getting into a run of three incredible songs. The Snow Came Down, Christmas in the Air, and we'll talk about Dream, uh, Dream uh, Child coming up here shortly. Um, but yeah, this is just another one, like, you know, just it opens with a beautiful, delicate piano. Uh, the vocals, again, this is a singer just like that first track. Uh, I think it might be the same singer, uh, but don't know who it is, but but he's fantastic. Uh, the vocals are so powerful, but they just burst with melody. Uh, like just addictive chorus again. Like I sound repetitive, but um, you know, this is actually a track I would love to hear John Oliva. This would have been a good one for him to jump in and sing. Uh, if he wanted to do one of the lead vocals, so so yeah, I'm a big fan. Like like that three song run I talked about are are, are fantastic. And you can continue and talk about the seven minute Dream Child. Yeah, I know. So again, you know, as you said, Blake, another uh, sort of semi ballad or ballad like in the. Uh, uh, this has a, a killer vocal performance by somebody named Joe Sarasano. Um, and again, just uh, powerful vocals, but so much emotion in them. 
um, the uh, you know acoustic guitar uh, pairing with, with Joe singing, fantastic. Um, it, the song's just an emotional powerhouse. I love it. Um, you know, it's funny at, at times uh, uh, when I hear his vocals, it kind of reminds me of Neil Diamond in a way, but ne not Neil Diamond in a bad way. Uh, Neil mm -hmm. Diamond still in a good way, like if that makes. <laughs> And like often when I hear it, I keep thinking like you know just just the the tone reminds me a bit of Neil Diamond. <laughs> I don't think I could recognize Neil Diamond. I mean, I know who Neil Diamond is, but <laughs> I don't think I could say yes. It does sound like Neil Diamond because like, I don't think I've listened uh, to Neil Diamond enough. I, I have a wife who likes him, so uh, I, I yeah. know what he sounds like. <laughs> Then we go to the second last track on this album, An Angel's Share. This has a little more jump again than some of the other songs on the album. What do you think of this song? Yeah, no, so, so you're right. Definitely a little more jump, but it's actually not a, not, not a favorite of mine. It, it, to me, it's like, you know, so obviously very 100% rock opera, but it, it's a little too Broadway for me. Uh, so, so, like, I'm not the, the biggest fan. I mean, the, the vocalist is uh, Marlene Daniel, uh, who returns here on this song, but a little too much. Like it, to me, it's like they're trying too hard for a rock opera sound here to cl to, to to close out the album. So um, it doesn't work as well for me. But that's just a personal taste. And then we finish off the album with <laughs> Music Box Blues. Now this is the song they've played the most of live from this album it says oh. 421 times almost twice as many as any of the other songs <laughs> so what do you think of music box blues to finish off the album yeah so, so i enjoy this one like this is the uh that bluesy you know if you think back to that bluesy jazzy song this is the second song by that singer uh daryl uh pettiford but but uh you know i think he does a good job here i like it better uh, it's still very bluesy, um, but, you know, he, he's actually, there's some great, like, backing vocals and vocal harmonies happening uh, on the album. Um, so, so I think that works better. I mean, there there's parts where Daryl's just wailing here uh, on his vocals, and, and you have those, uh, the, those backing vocals and vocal harmonies. I think it works pretty well. Um, so music takes a backstage on this track. It's all about the vocals, uh, uh, unfortunately, I guess for uh, for us music fans, but overall, I th I think a strong uh, a strong song, uh, another long one too though. Uh, up there, j six minutes, but but good track. Yes, they make they make uh, all these uh, all these Christmas albums are long and multiple songs. We got the other one has twenty three songs on it. That's why I shied away from that one for the podcast because I didn't know if I wanted to talk about twenty three songs. <laughs> even though i'm sure a lot of those are instrumentals too but i was trying to i was reading some reviews of this album and you know people can say what they want to say but i just read one where they said if you had their first christmas album don't buy this one it's a waste of time but i'm thinking what i mean it's a christmas album what do you expect they're going to be christmas songs and yeah. Like he's saying, it just sounds like the first one. I mean, but doesn't every ACDC album sound like an ACDC album? I don't really understand that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was odd. Now, to rate this album, like, now I'm like, I don't, I think this is probably my least favorite of the three Christmas albums myself. 
but I'm going to give it, say, 7.5 is what I'm giving it, just because I would like more of the rocking Christmas songs like they do in some of the albums. But like I say, they're all long, so it's kind of hard to keep for an hour and whatever it is, an hour and 10 minutes, I think this one is. It's hard to keep it up for so long on the album. Yeah. What would you rate this album yourself? Yeah, I had, I mean, pretty much with you there, Blake, I had an eight. Um, I mean, just in general, like, like, I mean, I don't know that I would ever give a Christmas album a 10, but yeah. maybe if you're being fair, like you'd have to rate it as a Christmas album. You can't compare it to like Exodus Bonded in Blood or Slayer <laughs> Ring. I mean, so yes. Yes, we've got to be realistic, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think eight is fine. I think it's, uh, it's the album's done well. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, to your point, some ratings, you know, ratings can be bad on TSO, but I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding, right? These guys are, are selling out stadiums. Uh, they're doing two shows a day. They've got multiple people touring the country. Uh, this is just incredibly successful. And as much as I love Sabotage, uh, in terms of ticket sales and, and music sold, uh, TSO just dwarfs Sabotage. Um, yes. But, you know, the flip side to that, so, Blake, I mean, I always sort of get happy in the fact that, you know, you know, this is really giving the, the sabotage guys a nice life, right? They, they make some excellent money on this thing. It's it's how they make their living. Um, and so, you know, it kind of gives them uh, the reward for all that great sabotage, the financial reward for the great sabotage work. Yes. But like you did say, it probably did take away from us getting more sabotage music. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure, like you say, they make a lot more money with Trans-Siberian Orchestra where they can go to a whole bunch of different people, not just heavy metal fans. Yep. And have everybody like it. I think probably my, what, what would be your favorite Trans-Siberian Orchestra album? Can you pick one of the ones that you would say is your favorite album? Not just the Christmas be? ones, but any albums. I, I mean, uh, I, I've always liked Christmas Eve and other stories just because it was a first. But mm -hmm. I'm also a big fan of, I think when we were talking about a, a podcast, I threw out uh, Beethoven's uh, last night. But, you know, as you rightfully noted, it probably makes sense to stick with a Christmas theme uh, this time of the year. Uh, also, you know, one of the later ones, 2009 Night Castle. Uh, I was recently spinning that and, and I enjoyed that one quite a bit as well. Yeah, I think my favorite would be Beethoven's Last Night, as I do yeah. love some of the songs on there, and maybe we will do a podcast on that sometime. But yeah, I did think we should stick with Christmas, since we're right around Christmas. And since, you know, they are on tour, I don't maybe I'm not sure, I guess the tour is probably still going on. Sometimes they still are playing past Christmas, too. But now, uh, let's see, I have seen, usually we talk about seeing them live. Now, I've seen them live once. I can't really recall the exact year. I did look up some information earlier. It was probably in the 2000s that I seen them because I remember Anna Phoebe was one of the electric violinists. So I remember seeing her and thought, oh, she's awesome. So I went and got one of her albums or whatever. So that's when I seen them. So it's been many years since I've seen them. When was the last time you seen them? Um, so probably I would say 2018, uh, in, uh, Philadelphia. 
okay. uh, one of their, their normal tour runs. So, yeah, you know, I think you hit on it earlier, Blake, like, you know, a great show to watch, uh, you know, all, all the, uh, you know, there's so many vocalists and musicians and electric violins, electric cellos. I mean, the thing's quite impressive to see great light show, uh, you know, the, the guitar solos, it, it's just fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I would say to this day, uh, one of my favorite concerts of all time was, and I know I've hit on this, so uh, I, I won't go into it in too much detail, but like 2015, Wacken Open Air in Germany, uh, when Sabotage reformed, uh, and they basically did this landmark concert. And to my knowledge, the first time it's ever been pulled off, but two giant stages side by side, Sabotage on the left, TSO on the right, and actually playing in sync together. Uh, one of the greatest moments uh, of my concert uh, life, if you will. Uh, just fantastic. I mean, TSO backing up Sabotage on Savage song, on Sabotage songs and Sabotage backing up TSO. It, the thing was a production uh, that you have to see to believe. It was just incredible. Paul O'Neill uh, and the guys were in hiding for like two months practicing to pull this off because you know <laughs> the, the, the people can't see each other, right? They're on two different stages, so they had to sync this thing perfectly. Uh, and yeah, they pulled it off. And, and to this day, why there's no damn DVD uh, of this show, uh, I just do not understand. <laughs> and every Every show is filmed at Wacken with professional photography and, you know, big cameras on, uh, um, you know, like moving cameras across the stage. Uh, so, so there's no reason for it. I don't know. Maybe there's some uh, legal dispute or something, but that, that's got to be seen by everybody. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say it's too bad they didn't, you know, release it on DVD or whatever, because, yes, that would be. Good to see. Now, have you ever, besides that, did you ever see Sabotage live? Yeah, no, yeah, like probably yeah. four or five times. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I ever got to see Sabotage that I can recall, anyway, because I know I went to a lot of concerts in the '80s, but I'm pretty sure I never got to see them for some reason. Yeah, yeah, no, they're 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 good. Yeah, definitely a great band to see. Uh, hit or miss, I like. I think I don't know if I mentioned it on the Sabotage podcast. Like on the uh, Streets of Rock Opera tour, I saw them in uh, Montreal, which which is a huge metal city in Canada. Uh, and uh, the tour, they had like maybe 50 people in the whole place to see them, which was just incredibly disappointing. Again, <laughs> back to like, I'm so glad to see them like making millions on the TSO thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that is maybe that's why. Maybe that is what they say. We got to stop doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for 50 well, people. But anyway, <laughs> anything else you want to add about Trans-Siberian Orchestra? No, no, I think uh, no, I, th I think that sums it up. It doesn't look like we've had a new album since 2015, so uh, that's kind of interesting. And I guess the other thing to say is, you know, all this is uh, uh, Paul O'Neill, right? So I don't know, like, with unfortunately, uh, Paul has passed on. Yes, uh, he died very suddenly a few years ago. So. Uh, maybe that's why there's no new album. And like, I know John's been trying to organize these shows and he's had his own share of problems. So uh, yeah, I, it's interesting to see where the direction of this will go and who will lead the whole thing in the vision. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't, I mean, I'm sure they, 
they probably make more money touring than they do releasing an album, which I guess yep. is the way for everybody nowadays, but especially for them when they're doing two shows in every city at the yeah. in multiple cities <laughs> at the same time. I know there's lots of people, of course, to pay, but still, and you know, it's always a Christmas tradition. Not sure how many years they've been doing it now, but it is. And I did see on Spotify, they have, uh, they released, well, it's the Ghosts of Christmas Eve album, but they have a narrated version. I'll have to check that out later. I've never even seen that, but I did read about it, about how they have some narrated versions, so which mm. probably read in the story about the songs and stuff. So if anybody's interested, maybe go check your Spotify or iTunes or whatever it is and see if you can find that on there, because it might be interesting to listen to. There's also supposed to be yeah. one for Streets also is supposed to be a narrated one, but I have not found that yet myself. Yeah, me neither. Okay, so then we're going to finish off this episode with our top 10 favorite Christmas movies, since we're in the Christmas theme here. And I'm going to, I guess I'll let you go for, mine's a little more scary than yours probably. So, <laughs> so I'll let you do your top 10 Christmas movies first. Okay. Yeah. And I think as you're about to see, there's in no way, shape or form what I classify mine as scary in any way. Uh, <laughs> so uh, my number 10 is uh, Polar Express. Um, so again, just uh, an excellent modern animation movie with uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, is probably the biggest lead. And so, you know, this young boy takes a train ride and, and you know, uh, by the end of it, learns the meaning of Christmas. So, uh, my number nine, number nine and eight, I'm cheating a little bit because they're not necessarily a movie, but they're when I think movies, they're just like they're classic. It's what I grew up on. So mm -hmm. uh, my number nine is the not the movie because the movie sucks, but the TV show How the Grinch Stole at Christmas. So the original one, the old fashioned animation. Uh, you know, for me, it's just iconic watching it every year as a kid. And uh, so I'm a sucker for happy endings. Uh, so the green cheese does the right thing in the end. So, so that's really good. Uh, and then on the same theme for number eight, I'm going uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, so those two just got to be hand in hand. I still watch them, like, like my wife and I watched both of these like the other day. Um, so they're great. Uh, uh, again, you know, the theme just at Christmas not being all about uh, commercialization. It's about the spirit. So yes. uh, you can see my, my my theme about not horror driven in any way. <laughs> uh, so my number seven is uh, a, a movie that if Die Hard is considered a Christmas movie, then I'm calling this a Christmas movie. It's called Why Him. Uh, it stars uh, James Franco. It's a hilarious comedy. Like he's like a rich billionaire and he meets his uh, girlfriend's parents for the first time at Christmas. I just, I think it's one of the funniest movies mm. of all time. And Kiss have a reoccurring uh, role in it. And at the end, he uses Kiss to to to, to come down the street uh, and help him propose to uh, his girlfriend <laughs> in all their makeup oh, and man. everything. So uh, <laughs> it's cool. If you haven't seen any like comedy, then, then that should be good. Number six is uh, Elf. I mean, Will Ferrell just nails this role. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think he's pretty funny in it, but he was born to play that role. 
uh, number five, you know, probably the OG of Christmas movies, National Lapoon's uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, another one I always got to watch, but admittedly, it's getting, you know, after seeing it so many times, that one's a little harder to, to, to keep watching. Uh, number four is a, a bit of a surprise, maybe a chick flick. Uh, Love Actually, uh, I really like that movie. A uh, bit of uh, multiple love stories happening during Christmas, so so that's a good one. Um, I'm into that one. Uh, three is a movie called The Family Stone. Um, so this is a family, uh, it's a drama movie reuniting for Christmas, uh, but the mother's dying of cancer, Diane Keaton. Uh, it's filled with famous actors, but just a good family holiday story, but with a sad ending. Hopefully I didn't give it away there. I guess I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, number two is uh, a super funny and vulgar movie. It probably shouldn't be a Christmas movie, but Bad Santa, it obviously is. But uh, it's totally like turning uh, the dial on what a Christmas movie is. And then my number one, it's been a favorite since uh, I first saw it in the theaters when I was a young uh, boy, uh, A Christmas Story. Um, mm. So little Ralphie wanted his Red Ryder BB gun. And at the end, he actually shot his eye out. But uh he was able to recover nicely from it so so that's what counts uh, and, and interestingly uh they actually did a sequel to this uh, uh last year i think and all the same people came back and it's really good it's called a uh, christmas story christmas uh mm. not as good as the first but very enjoyable if you like the first and, and you haven't seen it i think that's a must but yeah that's my top 10 very different than than uh than perhaps yours i think well, we match we match two, so okay. <laughs> uh, I'll mention I didn't because I actually thought when I told you let's do top ten Christmas movies, I was actually going to say, "Oh, you can include TV shows if you wanted okay. to," which you already did, but I didn't on mine just because I didn't bring it up. But yes, I love <laughs> those two that you mentioned: the cartoon Grinch move or TV show, whatever TV special, yeah. and the Charlie Brown one. And yes, if I ever see it on, I do try to watch it. There was also some Canadian one. I didn't look it up, but there was some otter Christmas thing. Do you remember seeing that with a bunch of otters? And <laughs> no, no, it doesn't ring a bell. I'll have to. There was some otters jug band or something in it. Like they, this, <laughs> these otters. Like it was a, it was for kids, of course. This thing. So that's where I remember it from when I was a kid. But he was trying to raise money so he could buy his mom a gift. So they started a jug band or something. <laughs> I don't remember but, that one. I'll look the name up and send it to you and you okay. can watch it if it's possible. If I can remember the name. Okay. So let's get to my list here. Now, hopefully I don't scare anybody with my list. <laughs> okay. So number 10, I have a movie from 1984, which is called silent night, deadly night, which I'm not going to say much about. It was just a slasher horror movie where somebody dressed up like Santa Claus and, you know, did things that he shouldn't be doing <laughs> number nine i have home alone which isn't horror but there's some scary moments in it if you really <laughs> if you let it be but it's just a hilarious movie and i still like it if i ever happen to see it number eight i have another horror movie with krampus which was from 20 2015 about a christmas demon but i'm not going to get into that one either number seven i got die hard 
as <laughs> you mentioned that, not as one of your lists, but as if that's a Christmas movie. So, yes, I have Die Hard there. <laughs> Number six, I have Black Christmas. This is from 1974. This is one of the first... I guess you would say slasher kind of horror movies ever made. And it's Canadian, actually. And it starred Andrea Martin, who, you know, got her start on SCTV here in Canada and then went on to oh, a bunch of famous shows. And Margot Kidder, who, of course, was also in this. I think she's isn't she Canadian, too. Isn't she Margot Kidder? I think, I think so, so, right? Yeah, I think so. And she, of course, was in Superman movie, the first Superman movie. As I got her the fame. Okay, so number five. Oh, and uh, I'm not going to say anything else about Black Christmas in case people want to go watch it. <laughs> number five is Office Christmas Party. Now, this is from 2016. Oh, and this yes. Is, you remember this movie? Okay, with yeah, Jason. Yeah, that's a good one. I Jason forgot about that. Men and Jennifer Aniston are the yeah, two biggest yeah, yeah, characters yeah. in it. Jason, I love yeah. like every Jason Bateman movie I think I see, I love. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that would have <laughs> made mine, I think, if I remembered. <laughs> but yeah that was a funny one and stuff there number four we have a copy here as i have elf that's number four yes it's a funny movie and i just saw it the other day it was on well it's on probably every day right now but yeah, exactly. <laughs> and number three i have one that you hate i guess but i do have the movie the grinch movie with jim carrey what don't you like oh. about that movie I don't know. I, I just I, I think he's trying too hard to be the Grinch, which which often happens with Jim Carrey. He just tries too hard. He <laughs> yes. turns me off. <laughs> well, he's an over actor, I guess, but I don't know. Exactly, yeah, he's funny, yeah. and and he's Canadian too. Yes, he is. And and he also sang with Cannibal Corpse in a movie. <laughs> yeah, Pet Detective uh, Part yeah. One. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which was funny, I thought, too. And I also yeah. like in the movie because there's uh, the girl who plays Cindy Lou, Taylor Momsen, who is now the singer of a hard rock band called The Pretty Reckless, who I actually love. I actually love The Pretty Reckless. So I think it's oh, cool. cool. She thing. was a little girl okay. back in this, and now she's okay. a singer, and she's definitely different than the little blonde girl she was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Okay, and number two, I have National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It's still like again, I would watch that anytime if I see that on TV. I'm watching it <laughs> as I love Chevy Chase, of course, and well, everybody that's in that. And it's funny because Beverly D'Angelo, of course, is Chevy Chase's wife in those National Lampoon yep. series. Okay, and my number one favorite horror movie is Violent Night, which is oh, it's not really. I wouldn't really call it a horror movie because it's not scary. But yes, there's a lot of deaths in the movie. But it stars David Harbour of Stranger Things. But he was the cop guy in the Stranger Things. And he plays Santa Claus in this movie, Violent Night. And I don't want to give anything away. I'll just say he's it's kind of the movie is like Die Hard meets Home Alone, where Santa Claus lands on top of a house. And for some reason, his reindeer leave him on the top of this house. And then this house gets hijacked by people that are trying to rob the people's house and all the money the people that have in the house. And so it's a cool, it's a cool movie. It's not, like I say, it's not scary unless, of course, you're a little kid and you're thinking Santa Claus is going to get killed. So if you're not a little kid... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he's playing Santa Claus. It's a pretty cool movie. And if you like violence and stuff like that, <laughs> and there is a little girl in the movie that is trying to help Santa Claus out, get rid of these bad people that are in it. But yeah, it's a great movie, I think. And 
And actually, in the moment that owns a house is Beverly D'Angelo from the National Lampoon's movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting, too. And I didn't even notice that the first time I watched it. I didn't even pay attention because she doesn't have a big part in it, but she is in it. And so, yeah, that's my favorite Christmas movie. And that just came out last year. Oh, it did? Okay. Yes. Hmm. So if you don't yeah. mind killings, if you like Die Hard, it's kind of, it's similar and you'll see why when you watch it, but I don't want to give anything else away on it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I so think I mean, half yours I never heard of. I got some uh, movie watching for, for Christmas <laughs> Day. And if it scares everyone, Blake, I'm going to blame you. <laughs> well, I don't know that Silent Night, Deadly Night. I don't think you should probably waste your time on that one. <laughs> That's just kind of on here for shock value because it was a... <laughs> It also they also had a sequel. I forget what the sequel was called. I don't think it was called. I don't think it was called Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. It was something else, but it was okay. still the same thing. But I don't think they did like that popular. Sequels, right? Yes. <laughs> but and let's see, Krampus. I'm not sure. It's been a while since I watched it. I just remember I like that one. And yeah, like I said, Black, Black Christmas is yes is like one of the first slasher movies ever and they've remade black Christmas. So make sure like they remade it a few years ago. So if you did want to see the original black Christmas, make sure it's from 1974, okay. which will probably be pretty tame compared to your horror movies today. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, So there we go. Our Christmas list and our Christmas episode. So this is like I say, our last episode of 2023. So, and as I said, we're recording this before Christmas, but now it's you're listening to this after Christmas. I hope everybody listening had a great Christmas. If you celebrate Christmas, that is. And I hope, and since this is our last episode of the year, we hope you have a great New Year's Eve and Happy New Year and don't do anything you shouldn't be doing. And, and our next episode, which will hopefully schedules align, but we're going to do a recap of the year in metal of 2023. And talking about, not talking about any Christmas stuff, just talking about our top albums of the year, uh, the our group, the Metal Pit group, and what their albums are, favorite albums of the year, and talk about tours people have seen that my guest will be. And so hopefully that will be the first episode in January. So the first episode of 2024 will be a recap of the last year, 2023. And just... To make a note of that, make sure you are checking out our website, themetalpit.org, as we are releasing writers' top 15 albums of the year leading up till January 1st, where we will have our top 15 albums of the whole group combined, like figuring out which ones everybody ranked and everything like that. So make sure you check that out. So thanks, Billy, for joining me on this episode. It was fun to do something a little less metal, yep. I guess you would say. This was yep. the least metalized album we've ever done and probably will ever do. do. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy New Year, and we will see you next year. Goodbye. Goodbye.